0: amen amen to that um, if you want to pull out your Bible with me we'll be in first Timothy chapter 4 looking at verses 12 to 16 in here in a moment first Timothy chapter 4 and uh, kind of before going on any further I would like to again go to the Lord in prayer so if you want to bow with me again oh God What a joy it is to sing songs to your name. What a joy it is to gather as your people. And uh, now, as you have the opportunity to open up your word, I pray, O God, that you would speak through me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint my tongue. O God, as we speak on these spiritual truths, I pray you would pierce my heart, my mind, as you have this, this week. I pray, O Lord, you would uh, guard us from just distracting thoughts. I pray you'd be at work in our lives. Lord, shine your holy light to the areas, Lord, that are pleasing to you. We rejoice to the areas, Lord, that need to change. We wanna lay it at your feet. We wanna repent. So God, use this word proclaimed to transform our lives, to make us more like Jesus and to glorify his name. And so I pray you would, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as we get going, do you ever watch sports movies? And I know, just start with these random questions. And maybe for those who do watch sports movies, it's really roughly the same movie over and over again, especially if it's about team sports. Because if it's about team sports, it begins... The team is terrible, right? The team is terrible. And then at some point, they have to work through some adversity or trouble. And then, of course, there's a sports montage, like as in music's playing, and people are practicing, and they get better, right? Because they have to show in a very brief amount of time that they're, they're improving. And then it always leads to like the one big game. Everything kind of culminates in the one big game, but before the one big game, this coach will give a speech, an inspiring speech, and they're called out, they're pumped up, and they're ready to go. And well, this message today is actually not like that. (laughs) All that build up to like, no. You'll, You'll see there's some correlation. Right now, though, we're in the middle of a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, as, he, as, as Timothy was to bring leadership to the Ephesian church, it's similar to that coach giving the speech. In the section we're going to look at, in four verses, there's eight commands. And so I want us to see that. I want us to feel that thrust, that Paul, in talking to Timothy, he's like, Timothy, do this. Timothy, be about this. Timothy, get on this. This inspiring type speech. I want us to feel that for sure. And in this word today, I want us to hear Paul Seeking to make sure Timothy gets going is about the right things. I want us to hear a word for leaders in the church. Our desire that our young people would see the calling on their lives and all of us to walk away with a clear sense of how to keep growing in the Lord and building his church. Again, God must be the one speaking if that's to be accomplished. God must speak through his word. If you want to stand with me to look at the passage together, 1 Timothy four a 12 to 16 Let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love in faith in purity Until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this message, Building Up the Church. You'll see why as we go through Building Up the Church. Again, this letter is addressed from the Apostle Paul to Timothy as we've been going through. He was giving leadership. Timothy was meant to give leadership in a hard situation in the, at the Ephesian church. There were false teachers. They were leading people astray. We saw in the first chapter, Paul was giving clarity on what the church should be about, the gospel, the gospel. The second chapter and third, we, we saw what should the church look for in leadership, character. The last time we got together and how to grow in go- godliness well, spiritual disciplines focused on Jesus Christ. And now there's a greater focus kind of to Timothy as a leader and where his focus should be in the church. And I see here a clear plan on how to continue to build up the church. And for us as a young church Seeking the Lord, it's, a, it's timely. And I pray we would all take it to heart individually and corporately together as a church. So how to build up the church. Look at verse 12 with me. I think first off, we do it by example. Build the church by example. Look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in example. Let no one despise you for your youth. Just kind of sitting there, you just think the first question you should ask, well, how old was Timothy? How old was Timothy? Commentators kind of wrestle over this. Uh, one person, Robert Yarbrough, says this, if Timothy was just a teenager when Paul enlisted him in his mission in the early AD 50s, Acts 16, and if first Timothy was written in the mid-80s, 60s, he's probably not yet 30. I would go with this other guy, what he has to say, William Mounts he says, Timothy must have been old enough in Acts 16 to have been an effective helper. Right, when Paul grabs him, hey, you're coming with me, he must have been old enough to be respected, be able to help out, maybe in his 20s. So that would put Timothy probably in his mid-30s at this point. But still, in the eyes of many, young. Right? It's, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, or you're like, hey, who's in charge here? And they point to someone, you're like, really, that guy's in charge? <laughs> I think Timothy experienced this Uh, A number of times, because being young, being put into a a situation of leadership within the church, just an example of this is 1 Corinthians 16, 10 to 11, the end of the letter Paul wrote to Corinth, it says this, "'When Timothy comes, "'see that you put him at ease among you, "'for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. "'So let no one despise him. (laughs) "'Help him on his way in peace, "'that he may return to me, "'for I am expecting him with the brothers.'" I love that. When Timothy comes, see, you put him at ease. Like, I think he was nervous. This was at a younger time in in the 1 Corinthians, but he was younger. He was put in a a situation of leadership. He had to speak to that. He was thrown into the fire, in a sense. And maybe because he was young, not everyone was willing to listen to him. So Paul says, this is actually the first command, let no one despise you, (laughs) a command. How is he supposed to do that? Well, the second command, set an example for the believers, set an example. Think about the example they already had in the Ephesians church. If you are with us any time previous, they had these false teachers that were going into the Old Testament and they were teaching uh, various things of food not to eat, you couldn't get married. That, that's the example that they had for leaders and teachers, and Paul's like, no, Timothy, you set an example. Don't let them despise you because of your youth. How are you going to do that by setting an example? Of course, as we see this often in the Old Testament, leaders called to be an example. Paul writes to Titus in Titus two seven to eight, and he says this. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not be may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. It. So it also says in First Peter five three, talking about elders, you should be an example to the flock. Also speaking about elders and leaders in Hebrews thirteen seven, it says something similar. It says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We see this throughout the New Testament. Like We are to have spiritual examples of our leaders within our church. Again, in church at Ephesus, there wasn't any. There were bad examples. Timothy, you want them to respect you. Don't let them look down. You will be an example. And why could Timothy be an example? If you are with us last time that we were in this passage, it's because of 1 Timothy 4, 7. He was training himself for godliness. He was becoming more like Jesus Christ. It wasn't because Timothy, in his young knowledge, had acquired all these skills. Hey, look at me. He's like, actually, hey, look at Christ. Look what Christ has done in my life. That's why Timothy could be an example. Paul has already said earlier in this letter, in 1 Timothy 1.16, how Paul was an example. It says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, where Paul already says, Hey, Christ Jesus came into the world, verse 15, to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. In verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's like, I'm an example. That hey, if he can save me, look what he can do in anyone else's life. So Paul was an example of that. He's calling Timothy to be an example. And there's this list of things he has to be an example for. There's a list for Timothy, but I think there's a list for all of us as believers. No one should say, hey, I'm glad my name's not Timothy. Timothy. This is the living word of God. I pray it would speak to each one of us as we go through this list. I just want to share one more thing where it says, let no one despise you for your youth. When when we spent some time down in Haiti and we were down there, um, I started a church Bible study. It was for anyone in the church on a Friday evening. I thought, hey, I just want to encourage the saints in the Lord. Well, in time... Friday evening came, and the only people who came were young people. <laughs> I didn't plan it, so it became kind of this youth, young adults, like Bible study, encouraging in the, the Lord. At worship time on Sunday mornings in Haiti, who led us in worship? It was, it was young people. And it was such a blessing to be led by them, just like we were led this morning. What a joy. Anytime there was anything happening in the church, any type of service that was needed, we reached out to the young people. And I always think of this, think of them as I look at this verse, let no one look down on you because of your youth. And even seeing how those young people stepped up to areas of leadership and served the church, it gave me a burden when I was in Haiti for the church in Canada, for our young people in Canada. Such that when we came back and we pursued a position as a youth pastor. So I want you to see this, we are to pursue these things. And if you are a, A young person here, (laughs) that young person's uh, a little distracting here. I'm talking to him, too. (laughs) But I I want you to hear this. Like, whatever age, if you consider yourself young, this is a word for you. And I want you to take it to heart. I want you to see the calling on your life as a young person. Don't ever think, man, I'm coming to church. Man, I don't know if this is actually for me. Specifically, like, hear this. The call that Timothy have is a call on your life. And again, anyone else, I hope you could hear it too. This list, let no one despise you for your youth, but set believers in example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Friends, even as we start to look at this list, I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. We all fall short of areas of this list. And what we should do instead of like, man, put our head down in shame, it should be a prayer list. And the places where we're going to go through this list, you're like, man, I don't see that in my life. We should turn that back up to prayers to the Lord. God, help grow this in me. Help me be an example there. He starts out, we should be an example, Timothy, be an example in speech. Should be an example in speech. Just a question, church, does God have your tongue? Does God have your tongue? But maybe the first question is, does he have your heart? Because if God has your heart, he has your tongue. Right, It says in Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think people who play cards or play poker, I'm not saying, hey, do this, do that, but people who play poker and they're like bluffing, they have a tell, right? Like there's something, like they scratch their nose as they're making a play, they give away what they're doing. Our mouth gives away what's in our heart. It is a tell, And so we have to say, okay, does God have your tongue? He won't have your tongue unless he has your heart. And if he has your heart, he will start to change the way that you speak. That's a tell that you belong to God. Lord, have our hearts. Just one scripture I want to bring before your attention, thinking through that, does God, to be an example in speech, Ephesians 4.29. It says this, Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give give grace to those who hear. So you just think like, hey, we're going to say something. Is this going to build this person up? Is this going to strengthen them? Or is it going to tear them down? And there's lots more we could say about the tongue. I think Ephesians 4, 29, though, is a good kind of a filter that we should take and like hey lord help me be able to think through that i know many times i've learned in, in my christian walk to just bite my tongue and god like, i keep changing my heart but you know you're about to say something you're like well, i don't know if i should say that god have our tongues to be an example in speech we are to be an example in conduct we've already seen this in the letter in timothy often think about just the call for elders 1 Timothy 3 2. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The list kind of goes on. We should be in examples in conduct. Even just think what James, James says in James 3:13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Right, again, if God has your heart, it's gonna start to play out in your life, in your conduct. We're gonna talk more about this as we go into verse 16. Timothy, be an example in speech, be an example in conduct, be an example in love. We are to be an example in love. Valentine's Day came and went, chocolates, flowers, That's what the, that's what it's talking about, right? Being an example in love. No, it's talking about agape love. Jesus Christ, who gave his life for his bride on the cross, nailed to it. For our sins, that type of love, self-sacrificing love, that's the type of love we're being called to. It's a fruit of the spirit. Like we can't just like muster up that love in our lives. But friends, for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we've received this love as we came to Him in faith. Romans five five says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And I don't know about you, like I read that, I think of that type of love. I think of that calling, and I keep praying, Lord, give me more of that love. Lord, put that in my heart. I know, I know, I fall short. So pray for that love, more of his love, less of us. And then look for opportunities to love on people with that saf, self-sacrificing type love. Be examples of love, be examples in faith. I think faith in God, in acts of faith for God's work. You hear this, acts of faith breeds more Faith. Acts of faith breeds more faith. Like you see someone step out in faith, you see someone put their faith in God and trust in him, and like you, it's contagious. It gives us all more faith. Again, also staying fixed, our eyes, our hearts on the faithful one gives us more faith in him and what he can do. I just want to again pull you to Ephesians. You're maybe aware of this scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, at the end of one of Paul's great prayers, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Paul finishes this prayer with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, I love that verse. Those two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask or think do we ever reach our capacity for faith is our faith like a balloon it can only get so big we're like ah, i i just can't believe anymore no it just keeps growing and growing as we continue to see who god is what he does we're like okay lord you're bigger you can do more let's keep growing in faith we need examples of faith for those of us who got together as this church just got started when it was, it was an idea, just a few of us, will we gather together, will we start this church and, and see it happen? That took a lot of faith. When the first family to come in, like there are no other kids. Your kids are the first kids. And then for those of us who started there, man, we saw God build his church. And it gave us greater faith. And we're amazed. And I'm excited to hear Baron Mambala next Sunday what, what is God doing in the Democratic Republic of Congo? He's kind of got this vision, this burden to make the gospel known where the health and wealth gospel is everywhere. He wants to bring in a, the gospel preaching sound doctrine. I hear him, I'm like, oh Lord, give me more faith. So we need those examples of faith to help continue to build us up in the Lord. We need to be examples in purity. And think about this. This letter, if you've been with us, the call for sexual purity has been written throughout. Think the call for sexual purity in 3 verse 1 to the elders, to the deacons as well. An overseer must be the husband of one wife. It means a one woman man, eyes only, fixed on his wife. So it's repeated a number of times in 1 Timothy 2 9, talking about how women should dress, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. And then even in in 1 Timothy 5, 2, talking about how we treat one another, treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Over and over again in this letter, Paul keeps touching on you need to be pure. A letter written, written to church leaders And so we're like, man, I've heard this before. We keep coming back. Well, Paul keeps coming back to it. Think of the seriousness of it. Robert Yarbrough writes this, pastoral laxity or impurity can infect all that a congregation undertakes. To say nothing of disastrous effects in the overseers' marriage and the church's public witness, scripture as well as the daily news offers numerous cases of supposed secret sin by church leaders wreaking havoc in due course. So think about training for godliness, 4-7, it leads to pursuing Christ, which leads to purity. It does. And of course, Timothy was called to this, and we are called to this as well. So I just want to kind of drill down here for a moment. I think it's important enough, too, in the culture, the time that we live. What does purity look like? What does purity look like? One, I think that God has our eyes. Talk about God having our tongues, God have our eyes. Job 31.1, Job says this, I made a covenant with my eyes that I wouldn't look at a woman with lust. Made a covenant with my eyes. Of course, we can't help kind of sometimes where our first glance goes to, but we can help the second one, the lingering. God have our eyes. And as we think about purity, just a helpful tip, I think for all of us, don't be on your phone or your computer alone late at night. That's just wisdom. If we're going to pursue, pursue purity, God must have our eyes. Secondly, God has our thoughts. God has our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that means when you, you get those thoughts, that come in the left field sometimes like, whoa, where did that come from? Then You throw that aside and fix your mind on good things, on pure things. God must have our thoughts. You know, sometimes where we just, you start to think and your mind just starts to wander. In Christ, we need to grab hold of it, bring it back. God must have our thoughts. He must have our eyes if we are to pursue purity. And of course, God must have our body. Every aspect of us, we're like, yeah, okay, Lord, you have my heart, so then therefore you have my tongue. And if you have my heart, you have my eyes. And if you have my heart, really, in a biblical sense, you already do have my mind, you have my feet, you have every aspect of my body. I would just say this also for young people listening, maybe as you start to get into a relationship, hang out in groups. Don't stay alone with each other late at night. It's just not smart. It's just not smart. And of course, for all of us, God help us. God help us as we pursue Christ that we would have pure hearts. I know this is a battle within the day and age in which we live. Hey, in the Ephesian church, they had temple prostitutes everywhere. They had to deal with it then. We have to deal with it now through Christ, through his spirit in us. We can be people who are pure and examples of purity. So friends, as you see these examples in the church, it's contagious, it's encouraging, it's equipping. If you are those examples in your home or school or workplace, it is a strong witness. A godly example leaves a mark. People quickly forget about your age. right? If If you're an example of these things, people aren't thinking how old you are. They're thinking about Christ. So we can see how the church can be built up by godly examples. Verse 13, we spent a little longer there in the first part. Verse 13, though, chapter four, we see the church is built up by teaching. Verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote, that's the command, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy, you need to be about this, right? Paul was planning to come sometime. He didn't know when he was going to make it. Until I come, this is what you need to be about. This is what you need to practice. This is what you should focus on, give your attention to. So we see these three uh, things together. The public reading of scripture. Exhortation teaching. One commentator points this out. There's no end in Greek. The wording of the original can be understood as pointing not so much to a sequence or progression as to three three intertwined and perhaps inseparable activities. So though I'm going to talk about them separately, ultimately they go together. Think about the public reading of Scripture. Just read the Bible out loud. We did it today. We're, We're doing it right now. Why would we do that? I just want to read a few Scriptures for you. One is Isaiah Isaiah I'm sorry, Isaiah 55, 8 to 11. Isaiah writes this: "This is God speaking. "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. This is why we read Scripture. Now, my thoughts are not God's thoughts. So we read what does god have to say verse 9 continuing for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall exceed in the thing for which I sent it. Just as rain comes down, brings growth. God's word goes out and does its work. We need to read his word. His ways are high above our ways. So we need to read scripture publicly. Also, Romans 15:4. Just nailing down this point with Scripture. Romans 15:4. Paul writes this: Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So we need to read Scripture publicly. And of course, we know 2 Timothy three sixteen: All Scripture is breathed out by God; this is an inspired Word of God. Why would we open up and talk about something else? You should read Scripture publicly. And then, and then secondly to that, exhortation, which I really believe is, is preaching. Read Scripture publicly and exhort people from it. Just think about that. Paul says just later on, 2 Timothy 4, 1-2. Paul, as he was dying, his last words to Timothy He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. His last words. He's serious. I'm about to die. What am I going to tell you? Hey, Timothy, be about this. This is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. Preach the word in season, out of season. I think exhortation is taking the word, what we've read, applying it to our hearts giving application, exhorting one another to follow it. MacArthur says this, Exhortion, exhortation, sorry. exhortation challenges people to apply the truths they have been taught. It warns people to obey in light of the blessing to come on them if they do and the judgment if they do not. It just doesn't leave, hey, we've spoken the word and now presses it into each one of our hearts. Exhort one another. So read, the scripture publicly, exhortation, and teaching. And of course, you see these are all intertwined together. Teaching the word of God often happens at the exact same time. Exhorting, preaching. I think a good example of this is in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. I'll just read it to you. Nehemiah chapter 8, you have Ezra coming to all the exiles, and and they basically actually built a little platform. That's where we maybe get a pulpit for the reading of the word of God. And as he As he read the word, everyone stood in honor of the the word of God. But then in people, in reaction, they raised their hands and bowed their faces. I love that that picture. But then as people were hearing the word of God for the first time, they had these Levites, this group of men, who went around and helped explain it. They were teaching. It says this in Nehemiah 8.8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, or paragraph by paragraph. And then they gave the sense of it so that people understood the reading. I think that's teaching. And of course, it happens at the same time as preaching often. So you have the reading of God's word, exhortation, teaching. This is what we want to do because Scripture says that. This is what they have done historically within the church. One um, Christian from years past, Justin Justin Martyr, in like the end of the first first century, start of the second, to slow down to say that, He says this about early Christian worship. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. As long as time permits, then, the reader, and when the reader has ceased, the president or the preacher verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things, then we all rise together and pray. This is what we've been doing for centuries, reading the word, exhorting, encouraging one another, teaching it. This is why we want to be about preaching expositional sermons, going through book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This is why we give it the time that we give it to in our service. It's not just a small part. This is why we even read scripture during our worship service. This is why we, as we break off into small groups throughout the week, often we're going back over the sermon preached into the scripture. How do we apply it to our hearts and lives? Kids ministry happening right now, they're going through something called the Gospel Project. It's kind of big picture uh, stories of the whole Bible they go through in three years. We want to bring them back to the scripture, tell them about Jesus Christ. So of course, we're like, we're convinced, I'm convinced, we build up the church through teaching of the word of God. Not just our opinion. This is what we find in Scripture. Verse 14. Continually think through how are we building up the church. Verse 14. Paul says to Timothy. Again, this is the command. Do not neglect. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Do not neglect it. Just thinking about what was the gift. First, think about Gifts of the Spirit. It was a gift of the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are, are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Who gives the gifts of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit, right? Why does he give it? For the common good, to build up the church. I just, I want you to see that, right? The church is, there's never meant to be a one-man band, right? Someone who like plays the drum, Well, they got the guitar and the harmonica, and I don't know what else you could do if if there's anything else. That's not to be the church. The church is meant to be the spirit giving gifts to different people to serve and build up one another. Everyone is kind of doing their part. But for Timothy, he had a gift. He had, I think, multiple gifts. I think his gift was teaching, leadership. And how was the gift given to him? It says this. The gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We see this in other parts of scripture, thinking about in the book of Acts. People laying hands on one another, commissioning them for the things they've been called to. Acts chapter 6, as you had uh, the apostles wanted to be about devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But there were certain widows who weren't being fed and cared for. And so they were like, hey, we need to have people set aside to care for these details. And in response to that, they gathered a group of men. And in verse 6, they set them before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. They commissioned them for the act of what they were calling in, in Acts chapter 13. In, in verse 1, they're gathering together and they're worshiping. In verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, also called Paul, for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so this is a common way to, like, display leadership on people, to, like, have them, hey, this is what you've been called to, now go. Even as we installed elders here in September, right, we had uh, elder uh, actually who's here with us today, um, Adam McAllister from Redemption Calgary North. Come down, lay hands on Roger and Dave. Myself, I was up there praying, hey, now now you have this spiritual authority, now go. And so think as it says that for Timothy, you have this gift which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. It was given to you by prophecy. Was it prophetic? I love what one commentator says, Robert Yarbo. He says this was given reflects a likely divine passive. The act of an agent was God. God's the one who gives the gifts and abilities. There's not one person who's like, yeah, I can lay my hands and give people gifts and abilities. It's the Spirit who gives gifts and abilities. And so the Spirit gave uh, Timothy the gift of speaking. I think it was recognized by the elders as they commissioned him for the task at hand. Timothy was prayed for by the church leadership and was exhorted in a spiritual gift. And even though he has it, what's Paul saying to him? He's reminding him he has it. And he's saying, don't neglect it, Timothy. He's already actually said it in the letter. 1 Timothy 1, 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. You should be about this, Timothy. Get going. Don't neglect the gift that you have. I just think if, if Timothy is being called to that, we should just see this. Think about this for a second. We can neglect the gifts God gives us to build the church. I think there's many reasons why. Hey, God gives you a gift and you're to use it. There are many reasons that hold us back. I think maybe some specifically uh, would be entertainment, and comfort, and pleasure. I think in our day and age in which we live, we're like, man, I have this gift to use to build up the body of Christ. But man, there's that good show. (laughs) There's that sports team. There's that, oh man, I want to sleep in. I want to do this. I want to go be with those people. And so those things actually pull our heart more. Don't neglect the gift of God that you've been given. God gives people in the church different gifts and abilities to build up the body of Christ. They're lead in song or serve greeting one another, leading, teaching. If you don't know where your gift is, serve in various places and see how God has gifted and shaped you. But in saying that, in the church, it's okay to serve in somewhere. You're like, I don't know if this is my place. It's okay to serve in an area because there's a need, right? We're often like, hey, like we really need people in this area. I'm not really called there. Like, oh, that's okay. But like there's a need and maybe you could do it for a time. That's okay. Okay. But I think the heart of it, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Build up the church by the gifts of the Spirit given to us, but again, we can neglect them. That's why there's the next verse. How are we to continue to build up the church by the gifts of the Spirit? I think by using and developing these gifts. He already says, do not neglect the gift, reminds them of getting it. And then verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Again, two commands. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Other other translations, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. Or take pains with these things, be absorbed of them. Like, hear hear this plea, hear this strong language. He's reminding you, have this gift, now be about it. Now get to it. Now use it, Timothy. And of course, what does he say in using it? Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. They're all all connected, right? And In verse seven, if he's, he's training himself in godliness and he's growing in that, then he's going to be an example to the believers. People are going to see his progress. Not so Timothy. He's like, "Hey, look at me!" But he's doing the things God has called him to to build up the church. Again, just thinking about what is what's your gift. For some here, maybe your gift is hospitality. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that would be like scheduling people to come over to your house. In North America, that's what we do. In other cultures, they just come over. In North, so schedule people to come over. Have people over. Man, rising costs of food. Make a budget. <laughs> like just realistically, you're like, okay, maybe we're not having uh, steak Every time, I don't know what you guys serve. Maybe it's just coffee and tea. That's okay. Use your gift of hospitality. Think of how you're going to use that. If you have that, you're like, I know I have that. Man, use it. Be diligent in using it. If you have the gift of encouragement, message people, email people, look to get together with people in person, have a coffee. Man, write people notes. I don't know about you. I have a few notes I got in like Bible college. I still have somewhere in a shoebox. Why? Because they're like, man, it touched my heart so much. If you have the gift of encouragement, we need the people who have the gift of encouragement, use that gift. Don't hold back. Figure out ways to encourage one another in the Lord. If you have the gift of service, find ways to help people, find needs. Be like a detective. <laughs> you know, you're just like inconspicuously finding out what needs people have and meeting them or finding other people to meet them. If that is the gift that God's give you, given you, giving you a gift of music, practicing it, honing it, using it, growing in it. I love what he says practice these things, immerse yourself in them. So it's like you have a gift, you know you have it, but it's not to like just sit back. You gotta develop it, you develop it by using it, by going after it. Maybe if you have the gift of teaching, grow in your ability, find areas to teach, join a small group. Kids ministry is a great starting point. For Timothy, again, I said it was leadership preaching. He had to get after it. I'm thinking about myself, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. I know God has called me to preach. So I want to I preach the word. I want to grow as a preacher. So I, I read books about preaching. I'm going to go to training in March, a group called Simeon Trust, training in expositional preaching. I want to keep learning and keep growing. I listen to other preachers, first from my own soul, But secondly, how can I better communicate God's word? Whatever your gift is, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Go after it. Build up the church by using and developing the gifts God has given each one of us. And lastly, we want to see the church built up, verse 16, by having our lives matching our words. By having our lives matching our words, Verse 16, Paul says this: keep a close watch. There's the first command. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. That's the second command. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Other translation: watch your life and doctrine closely. Like, think about this again: that command, train yourself in godliness. But then we also have in verse 11, command and teach these things. And so Timothy needed to like use his gift of leadership and teaching, but he also needed to continue to seek the Lord and grow in that. And if he ever stopped doing that, stopped pursuing Jesus Christ and just kept going on with the other, commanding and teaching these things, he's going to be in trouble fairly quickly. Like Timothy, if you don't watch your life, and your doctrine, you will fall. Your, your bankrupt life will be on display for all to see. If you don't keep doing these things, if you don't watch your life closely, there, verse 12, there'll be no example. Verse 15, there'll be no progress made. In essence, Paul's saying to Timothy, don't undo with your life what you say with your tongue. How important is it? If you keep doing this, if you keep watching your life and your teaching, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's not saying, hey, Timothy, you're going to save them, but Timothy, you're proclaiming the gospel. And as you're proclaiming the gospel, man, your life better be falling behind it, showing that, yes, Jesus is real, he's changing you. Because if it's not, if you're saying one thing and living the other, people will start to see it. They'll start to question, is that really true? Did Jesus really rise again from the grave? We really can live a life of purity? Timothy, I don't see it in you. Just think, we all have too many stories in our mind of fallen Christian leaders, moral failures, and then everyone surrounding them, just damage control. So many people walking around like, man, is the gospel real? Is God actually good? Can I trust Christian leaders? An old saint said this, be more afraid of yourself than of the world. Like Timothy, All of us on our own were like toddlers. And what I mean by like toddlers, like if you have ever had a kid in the toddler age or about to, and you can't leave them for like 30 seconds. You know, you and YouTube videos, right? Like I left them for a minute, and then it's like everything destroyed, things written on everywhere. That's what we're like on our own. We take our eyes off God. We're like, we got this. Man, we can bring destruction so fast. Watch your life. As then fix your eyes on Christ. God, help me, help us. There's this tension here. There's this tension, right? Train yourself for godliness. Grow up in your faith. But the tension also is like 1 verse 15, never forget you're a sinner, where Paul says, hey, this is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. I'm the greatest sinner. So you always have that knowledge. Man, I'm the greatest sinner, and I need a savior, and I have him. I'm going to grow in godliness. But you must hold both of those things together. As friends, for all of us, our natural tendency is to drift. Our hearts, as we sang this morning, are prone to wander. Daily, we can and need to be reoriented towards God. Just a simple prayers, God help me. Right? For, for all of us, you think in verse 11, it says Timothy, command and teach these things. In verse 15, practice these things. That's how the church needs to be built up, those things being connected. But for all of us, from the things that we speak and know and how our lives are, there's a gap. For all of us, there's a gap between what we know to be true and how we live. And what do you do with that gap? The gap can be filled with excuses. Ah, you know, was, I'm tired. That's why I'm acting the way I am. It's been a hard week. The past, t- the time that we're living in, we can have different coverings over I just put on a happy face. Things aren't going good inside, but man, I'm just happy. Just making excuses, just blaming it on other people. You just, just dress really nice. Busy, man, just stay busy. Just keep going faster and faster. Just lying about it, using deception. But friends, in order to grow in our ability to have our words match our lives, we must repeatedly go to the Lord in repentance and faith. Like that, That's the Christian walk. Like, man, I know this is how I should be living, and I mess up, and I'm actually here. And so very quickly, I want to, like, hey, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm going to Jesus Christ, Lord, because of what He's done on the cross. Cover me again by His blood. Forgive me and change me. And so we hope that that gap continues to decrease between what we know, how we should act, and how we live. Lord, keep changing me. Keep making me more like Jesus Christ. That our words would match up to our lives. And what a powerful thing that would be. God's transforming power, friends. He just He wants honesty. God knows our heart. He knows our lives. If we're honest with him, in the places where we fall short, in the places where we're, we're not making it, oh, help me. By His by your spirit, oh Lord. And he hears those prayers. He wants to. Friends, may he do that in us. I pray he would keep transforming each one of us, that he would shape us by his spirit, build his church. That we be faithful in teaching his word. He would continue to build his church. That we would use and develop the gifts of the Holy Spirit to build his church. And as God changes and shapes Christ in us, our lives would continue to fall in line with the words that come out of our lives. To be a witness as his church to a watching world. I pray that he would do that. And in that, I'd like to close this word in prayer. If you want to Bow with me. Oh Lord. Oh God, we we know where we fall short. By your spirit, continue to bring conviction. And, And Lord, have mercy. Lord, change us. I pray that the words that are from you Lord, seal them in our hearts. That which is from me, may it fall to the ground. Continue to build this church, Lord. Continue to build your church where where the gospel is faithfully preached. Alberta and Canada, the world, oh Lord, be glorified. Do your work in us continually, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.